Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes. Yes. I found my groove. I think I got my swagger back. Proof. Jackson, morning. Yo. What's going on? Oh, all's good. Just, uh, you know, holding it down. Oh, the fire alarm is now going off. No. I think it's a test today. They they put it on the on the board. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So we're just going to power through like we always do. Honesty and media. Fun. Uh, welcome to Balloon Party. It's 101 ESPN. It's also known as Hot Love, Little Tex, uh, Honesty in Media, as Jackson said. Uh, for a purpose of honesty in media, I am still in my basement uh, doing the show, talking to my refrigerator. Oh, I hear the fire alarm. Now it's making its way into the studio somehow. Because Rocchio has carelessly opened the door, just not not even thinking about me. Wow. I told him. Very just, disappointing, I man. Know. Very, especially for a fellow St. Gabriel's graduate uh you're welcome to get involved in the show six five seven eight zero air comfort service text line uh leave a mic drop uh we'll act like we'll play it i'd like to jackson won't it's a rhino shield mic drop darren pang gonna join us at 10 15 can't wait anytime that darren pang is on i'm on board but in particular today uh jackson what percentage would you give the blues for winning tonight's game five in Denver I'll say 25 percent 25 percent okay 25 percent is the correct answer yeah I think it's the only answer because you play four games they've won one of them simple math oh I see you're actually you're actually using some form of mathematical formulas I went to a deal yeah that's right I forgot arbitrary percentages uh, yeah, I would put it at, at 25%. Man, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Here's the thing, and tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm talking to the audience because I know this is the first playoff series Jackson's ever watched. <laughs> in in my recollection, subtracting game six of the 2019 playoffs when the Blues beat the Dallas Stars in the second round after losing game five with the series tied and the game five was in St. Louis. And then they won game six in Dallas Bishop got hurt if memory serves. And then of course you have the Pat Maroon goal in game seven. There have been so many times over the last decade. And for real, I do think it kind of starts with, um, with the Kings uh, a decade ago where you kind of get the sense And then it winds up playing out that way that the blues are going off on the road and you just kind of know 
it's not likely to go well. 2019, Game 6, Dallas, I'm sure many people had that feeling. I just was so convinced, and I know you were listening to TMA back then, Jackson, yep. and you may recall me talking about it. Now, I, mean, I mean, I've been wrong about a billion things, happen to be right about this. Just so convinced the Blues were going to win the Cup that year. I remember sitting, having dinner, it was me and my wife, and uh, you may recall young Page Views and his ferret yes. from that run. And young Page Views came up there to uh, have some booze with me and uh, my wife after we had dinner. And it was the Saturday, the night before game six in Dallas. And at the time, I think most people in the St. Louis area, not because anybody's bad fans or anything like that, it's just human nature, were thinking, man, this sucks. The Blues are going to lose tomorrow against Dallas and the season's going to be over. And I remember both of us saying, I don't know why, but I just have this feeling they're going to win the cup this year. And then therefore, that means they have to win tomorrow, even though as we sit here on Saturday night, it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen because the Blues had just lost 24 hours ago at game five at home. And they had to win two in a row against Dallas. And one of those were on the road. Well, in this case, uh, it, the you have to win three in a row and you have to win two in Denver and you have to do it with a goaltender who's not playing particularly well. And real candidly, I don't have that same feeling. Um, so, but Hey, listen, I'm the same asshat who said uh, after they lost game three against the wild that I thought they were going to be done uh, because of health. So maybe they can shock the world. They have been a resilient bunch. I think the thing that, that, causes me to be so concerned going into tonight is the season was on the line going into the third period of game four down by a goal had had a hell of a response after Colorado had rattled off those four goals I mean keep in mind the Blues led entering that period one nothing and then there were six goals uh, two by the Blues, four by the Avalanche. Blues are down 4-1. They have all the momentum after the power play goal with less than 30 seconds remaining. And now the series is on the line. Essentially, the series is on the line unless you're going to pull a Rangers against the Penguins uh, and come back from the 3-1 deficit. And Colorado, take your pick. Colorado dominates play. The Blues look terrible. Whatever direction you want to go, combination of both. And the Avalanche run off with the win and the blues don't even really provide much of a sweat in that third period with the season on the line, which brings me back to the Minnesota series game tied two two series tied two two heading into the third period. Essentially everything is on the line for both teams and the blues dominate play and they go on to win the series in six games when, again, Minnesota had another series-defining, season-defining period, and the Blues outplayed them and dominated it. And that's what concerns me. The Blues had that opportunity for 20 minutes at home on Monday night and just were, were dominated. Furthermore, you have the Husso performance. Maybe he can turn that around, but so far in this series, it hasn't really been particularly impressive. And, uh, and, I, and I unfortunately worry that in about 12 hours, this 2022 campaign will be coming to a close. That is my honest feeling. I know it's unpopular, but I have to tell you what I really think. I'm curious what everybody else's emotion is on this thing. 
780-658-0680. Tim, 2019 was an anomaly. Your instinct is correct. Uh, also, Las Vegas isn't in the business of losing money. The Blues are done. Uh, for the record, that's from the 636. For the record, the Avalanche, as of this moment, are uh, minus 260 to win tonight's game. Minus 260 if you like the Blues' chances. Uh, God bless America. The Blues would pay you 205 if you were to bet $100 on the Blues. And as far as the series goes, as of three hours ago, it was yeah, Colorado's minus 3000 to win the series. So if you want to win $100, bet $3,000 on the Avalanche, you get $100. But if you think the Blues are going to win it, throw $100 on it, and they would win. Uh, you would win 1500 So 15 to 1 is essentially your math. Tim, just got to win one tonight and anything can happen. I agree. I mean, think about it. Think about if in 12 hours the Blues win this thing and you're going, oh, my God. Now they're heading back to St. Louis. And you're kind of feeling like all the pressure is on Colorado. I can't, for the way this team has bounced back over the course of the season so many times, and the one that I will always circle, and I hope I remember this, Years from now, when I'm looking for point of reference in Blues history, to me, I, I, let me put it this way. Maybe this will be encouraging for Blues fans. I, If you line up, you can take yourself back to the moment of before the puck drops on Sunday afternoon of Game 4 against Minnesota. And now, before the puck drops, before Game 5 in Denver, I was less optimistic going into game four against Minnesota than I am for game five in Denver. Now, let me make it clear. I thought the Blues had essentially no chance in that game. So it's not necessarily a huge endorsement, but that's where I was, and I couldn't have been more wrong. So they responded, and guess what they did? They won three games, and they won three games against a great team. Colorado's a great team. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like Minnesota was some layup in the first round and the Blues rattled off three straight against them. And why do I think they rattled off three straight against them outside of Bennington emerging? And I know he's not going to be there. And outside of the strategic adjustments they made, why? Well, because Minnesota was sitting there going after they lost game four, going, oh my goodness, how did we miss this opportunity? We had this team down and out. We had to beat like half the roster, especially half the defensemen. And we missed the opportunity, and all of a sudden, the Blues had the momentum. It can change that quickly. It can change that quickly. This is going to be a tall, tall order. We'll see what Darren Pang has to say about it. He is going to join us coming up here in a matter of moments. Looking forward to getting his perspective on it. Darren Pang will join us at 10.15. I'm Tim McKernan. You are listening to 101 ESPN. Right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for a Blues playoff report brought to you by Engineered Design Facilities, the number one commercial fire alarm service provider in St. Louis. Welcome back. Tim McKernan with you here on 101 ESPN. It is our pleasure to welcome to the show for our EDF playoff report. The great Darren Pang. Panger, good morning. Tim, how are you doing this morning, big guy? I, I am very good. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the festivities tonight in Denver. And hopefully the Blues can respond and put up a performance like we saw when their backs were against the wall against Minnesota going in 
to game four uh, a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, what is your sense right now um, from Craig Berube and the Blues as to what they need to do to stop the bleeding that we have seen over the last couple of games against this Avalanche team? Well, I, I think we'd all agree that one of the most disappointing aspects of that last game was how they climbed back into the game. And uh, they start the third period only down by one goal and uh, really came out flat for whatever reason. I'm not sure if it was the way that the Blues came out or it was, it was how aggressive Colorado came out. But um, either way, it wasn't good enough. They didn't have a shot on goal for the first seven minutes of the third period. So not exactly the kind of a push you want to have. So um, that all being said, I, I would say the biggest thing is more players uh, involved. Um, I believe that there's just been too many passengers um, you know the guys that are the guys that are playing their hearts out are you know certainly guys like David Perron and and Ryan O'Reilly. I think they've they've come up with about 25 percent of all the shots that the Blues have had. So that that's not good enough when you're playing up against a great team like Colorado. I mean they're just they're too good, they're too fast, they're too big, they're too strong. And if you've got some passengers, there's not a chance in the world you're going to be able to beat them. So what I would expect tonight, Tim, is that uh, the Blues empty the tank, they put pressure on themselves, they make sure that. Uh, uh, that they get the best out of their own team first and then and see if they can maybe scare Colorado in a closing game because we know how difficult those are, especially on home ice. You know, a lot of pressure on Colorado to get beyond the second yeah. round. Pressure's on that home ice, and, and uh, everybody's kind of probably gathering around for a little party here and, and, uh, and, and looking forward to the next round. So I think that's what they'd like to do is just put a dent in the party here. What would would you describe the way uh, Vili Husso played in in Game Four? Did you uh, mm. think that a couple uh, he could he would like to have back? I, I, you know, as a former goaltender, we want all of them back. I'll be honest with you. There's, yeah, you know, you know, even the ones where we say, well, that he had no chance on. I, I think we always feel that we've got a chance on everything. But I will say this: I, I like the start of the game for Vili Husso. I thought it was good. Um, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not real sure, you know, fundamentally how how Colorado is finding ways to beat him like under the pads, under the stick um, on the rush where he tends to get a little deep in the net. So, you know, I really think that Dave Alexander, his goalie coach does a great job of, of, you know, just going to the simplistic parts of the game. So how would I, how would I judge it? Uh, I, you know, not, not good enough to beat Colorado. How about that? (laughs) You gotta be, I mean, you you gotta be at your very, I mean, you gotta be at your very best. I said before the series started that, if you're going to beat Colorado, your goalie is going to have to be the first, second, and third star every single game. And even then, Bennington was the first star in game one, and they you know, lost in overtime with that remarkable performance. So um, it's got to be better. I mean, it's got to be a lot better. You can't, you can't give up any kind of weak one that kind of saps the momentum of your bench or your team. The, 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 the loss of Bennington was, from my standpoint anyway, the moment in the series. I think it's, it's perhaps forgotten at this moment uh, because so much of the attention is on uh, Kadri and what's taken place both on the ice and off the ice, uh, that the Blues not only were winning one nothing when he was hurt, but they were really outplaying the Avalanche to that point. Granted, it was only a little through the, the, the first period. And then things just turned. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you have a couple of elements with this, Panger. Of course, you guys highlighted it on the broadcast the other night, the manner with which he handles the puck. It played such a key role in beating Minnesota with really slowing down the forecheck there. But then secondarily, psychologically, what that can, can do to a team. So both from a from an actual goaltending standpoint and then also from the impact on the Blues psychologically, how much do you think that that has played a role in what we've seen over the last five and a half periods? Well, I, I think the air got burst out of the bubble. There's just no denying that. Um, that moment that that happened um, with that player uh, being, you know, being in the middle of it, um, it took a lot of emotions out of the players. Um, and I do believe that, you know, they likely found out and, once Bennington moved side to side, that's when as a team or even me, because um, I, I actually tore an ACL in a very, very similar situation uh, in practice. And players know what a serious injury is. And when that happens, it's, it's stunning because it's, it's done. And you know it's done for the time being. Yeah. You know there's no chance he's going to the locker room. And he's coming back. He's got a sore shoulder or, or a wrist that got hurt where he got popped in the noggin. And I think that's what took a lot of energy out of the crowd and, and the Blues players. Um, they tried their hearts out to get back into it. And then the other part was, you know, you'd say, well, you've got to compartmentalize. You've got to, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to put any distractions and park them, you know, all the psychological warfare that we go through to, to, to get back on track. But the fact of the matter is th- there was history with, with uh, Nazem and, you know, I still feel like it was a hockey play, and I'm, I don't want to get into that whole thing again because, you know, there's there's so many opinions out there. But um, with that play, you know, the Blues lose maybe their most valuable player. So just a real sad incident all the way around, to be quite honest with you. And, and I'm I feel terrible for Benny because he was playing so great. He got his swagger back, and and if they were going to beat this team, it was going to be him. Now, I'm saying all that. I mean, we've seen Billy Huso put on some great performances. And maybe with his back against the wall here uh, in a do-or-die situation, maybe we see his very, very best. Or maybe the head coach surprises us all and makes a change in the goaltending. So I'm at the rink now, and we'll find out in a couple of hours what the coach's decision is going to be. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that. We, we talked about, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, the, yeah. the decisions that uh, – that the wild had to make it. Maybe uh, Dean Evison would like to have that back as to how he managed things in games five and six. Do you think that Craig Bruby could make some changes going into to tonight? Oh boy. You know, he does a great job of, of tweaking things. Uh, you know, I can, I can see him maybe getting Shen back on that left wing, you know, on that top line and, and diversify the attack again. Um, but uh Chief's, Chief's a pretty loyal guy, as you know. Um, he doesn't mm-hmm. make emotional decisions, and he doesn't make decisions that uh, that are going to impact maybe later on for a player. So I, I think he's going to. He's always been confident with his group. He's always stuck by his group. He's had that trust, and, and I do believe he'll continue that for, for tonight's game. Darren Pang with us here, the Engineer Design Facilities Blues Playoff Report on 101 ESPN. The topic, as you made reference to, it's it's become so charged that even commenting on it has has some kind of baggage. So, for the purpose of acknowledging that, uh, I want to state it and then and then move on, compartmentalize in our own conversation. But when you're talking to people around the game and you're at the rink right now. Uh, I feel like one of the things that's become disappointing is some of the hockey fans of St. Louis have gotten associated with things that most hockey fans in St. Louis would never want to be associated with over the last 48 
72 hours. Uh, what are what are you hearing in conversations? What are you saying in conversations with people around everything that has circulated with with Kadri and the the reports of threats and police presence? Well, again, I I don't want to dive in too deep, but some of the stuff that that I read that was posted to uh, their family accounts um, is absolutely disgusting. And um, the game's the game. Uh, the passion of the game is so great. The competitiveness is so great. But 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 that that the threats the the, uh, the brutal behavior to me is, is is disgusting and not warranted. And I. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I put it on that. And, you know, I, during the course of a game, I know at the network and, and everywhere I've been, you know, we're told just the puck drops, focus on the game, focus on the hockey player, you know, and, and that's, that's what we have tried to do. So, uh, but in saying all that, I thought he, um, I thought he uh, performed pretty brilliantly in a game that, you know, was a, a, maybe the most important game of the series. And, and he scores three goals with all that going on. I don't know. That's, uh, that takes some uh, inner confidence and, uh, and concentration, I would have to say. Yeah, when you were, when you, you're right there, I said, when you, when you saw what transpired with him, Perron, and Buchnevich, uh, it looked like Shen was trying to engage him earlier in the game. He wanted no yeah, part of it. Then right. in the second period, he bumps Perron, and then you see what winds up happening. Um, did that surprise you, or is that just a case of the emotions being on edge and just not being able to com- com- you know, command them at a critical moment, leading to a huge five-on-three? No, you know what I found with the, with the Blues team is that, that uh, you know, the plan, I'm sure, wasn't to create a five-on-three again. That's the last thing that they wanted. Um, right. But, you know, I, I do remember, though, Tim, uh, at the first game of the regular season um, was the first time that they played played them uh, after the suspension and knocking out their teammate Justin Falk last year in the playoffs. So, I mean, Kadri gets eight games for it. Falk is hurt for a long time. And our, our players are a tight, they're a tight group in St. Louis. They're, they're a tight group of players. And, and, and they basically told them at the very first drop of the puck, it was the second shift, 40 seconds in, that Shen fought him. And they basically told them throughout, throughout that game that we're not going to forget what happened and what you did to our teammates. So I believe that with, the sec, you know, with this incident, that what Shen said to him you know, early in the game, well, yeah, he was trying to engage him in a fight and, and, or trying to engage him to drop his gloves. But he's probably trying to remind him that, we're not going to forget. This is an important game, but, you know, we're going to be in your face all game. And, and then as it boils over, you know, then, then that happens with Bushnevich and, and with David Braun, which almost turned out to be a positive for the Blues because they nearly killed it off, and the crowd was yep. going crazy. It was, the, it was yep. the most energy that the crowd had, and it was on a penalty kill. So, I mean, but again, when you look back at it, you know, your, your plan isn't to have two of your really good players in the penalty box. I mean, I, I, that, that's not a good recipe for success. Uh, final uh, thought, uh, Panger. Going into Game Four against the Wild, I thought it was pretty much over. Uh, Blues were decimated. Krug had been hurt. You already had half the defensemen out. Uh, Letty wasn't playing. It was. It was looking like it was just absolutely yeah. not going to happen. And then they rattle off three straight wins. And let's make it clear, Minnesota was a very good hockey team. Maybe not the caliber of Colorado, but still a very good hockey team. They rattled three off. So you've seen this team throughout the course of the season, and also you've been on the call the games against the Avalanche. If there is something or are some things that Blues fans should be looking for or could hold on to for reason to believe, um, what would you say if you were giving your points for tonight's Game 5 and then ideally beyond from the St. Louis perspective? Well, a similar thing in the Minnesota series. A um, little tweak in the lines. If you remember at that time, Jordan Cairo was a little stale 
nothing much yeah. happened. Then he and Thomas got together and, and they started creating something. Well, I, you know, I, I'm just looking at the, the impactful players. The impactful players in this series have been Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, uh, Braden Shen on the forecheck, and I think he's been you know, playing battered and bruised now for a, for a little while, so you've got to give him a lot of credit. But, but not, enough, not enough, though, from, from other guys. And, uh, you know, Jordan Cairo needs to be a better 200-foot player. He's got to manage pucks better on the boards. A turnover resulted in, a, in an important goal against Colorado. That's a board play. That's a, that's a fight for the puck play. I'm not talking about going end-to-end and dazzling guys with toe drags like you read about. I'm talking about the, the intricacies of the game. Um, the important parts of the game. And the same thing, Robert Thomas is trying hard. He's trying to get in the offensive zone and make plays. You know what? Start going to the net yourself and, and making it hard on, on, on the Colorado Avalanche to defend against it. So same with Vladdy Tarasenko. I mean, it, you know, it's got to be all the time, every shift. And you've got to empty the tank in, in this kind of game. So, th- I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm not, it's not, the, it's not Torpchenko and Tyler Bozak. It, it's, it's the guys that are on the, not just on the power play. It's the guys that have to have, better play five on five and uh so that's that's what i would say there in, in order to win this game goaltender's gonna have to be one of the top three stars and, and the players that i just mentioned are gonna have to be way way more impactful at both ends of the ice i'll give a uh, another pick to click your nephew jake bryson i have spent the last couple days on the jive driving range with him at family golf and your nephew's a ball striker panger my nephew is a ball striker i took him out to boone valley and he ripped that thing around. I think he went one over the first time he saw it in cold conditions from the back tees. I caddied for him at the U.S. Junior Amateur uh, several years ago before he took the golf scholarship to Utah. And he's here for the summer. I'm so excited about it. Um, I've watched him swing a golf club, Tim, since he, uh, you know, he was five or six years old. And, man, you're right about that. And he loves it over there at Family Golf Center. So I'm, I'm glad that he's out there supporting uh, Adam and the great group over there. Great group of people, a left-handed ball striker, Jake Bryson, Panger's nephew. Really, really good guy. I've enjoyed to get to, to know him. Panger, always enjoy the talk. Looking forward to the call tonight of the Blues and the Avalanche. Thanks for the time. You, you got it, Tim. Take care, buddy. See ya. Take it easy. There Thanks, he is, Panger. Darren Pang with us here, our engineer, design facilities, Blues playoff report guest here. Your thoughts on what Panger had to say? 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. That is how you can get involved on the show. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. We're going to continue the discussion here on Balloon Party next. This is 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN. We have about 24 minutes before BK and Ferrario take over. And you are welcome to give your thoughts. It's a conversation with the people here on Balloon Party or Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Just joined by Darren Pang. Um, And uh, I get the sense. uh, Jackson, do you have the uh, text inbox open? I sure do. Uh, tell me what your sense is right now from reading the text. I will not, for the record, I'm doing the show from my basement. My wife and my four month old have COVID. That's why I'm in the basement. Uh, Jackson is in the studio, uh, the car shield studios there in Creevecore, Missouri at Hubbard radio. So I have not had this conversation with you. You are reading the text. What, what would your sense be regarding Darren Pang from the majority of the text that came in? Uh, that he's an Avs fan. Yes. All right. We're on the same page. Which is strange. So, 
like really strange. I well, I mean, it's you know, I, I now call it the Joe Buck thesis. Yep. Yeah, uh, Joe has has been uh, quite uh, transparent. I'm glad he's talked about it, actually. Um, and, but but not only has he talked about it, he's also brought, I think, the psychological element that has gone on for years in broadcasting. Uh, when you have somebody doing a national game, I remember growing up. Uh, my, my household I grew up in was a, was a Notre Dame household mm-hmm. and, uh, that, that should lead to some pleasant text six, five, seven, eight, zero. And, um, I recall my mom going, Oh, this broadcaster doesn't like Notre Dame or this broadcaster doesn't like Notre Dame. And I just be like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm eight, but <laughs> I just really can't imagine that's what's, what goes on. And, and now being a part of this industry, albeit not play by play, uh, you recognize what actually is really what you want is a good game. Right. You want to be entertained. And if it's a good game, then it's entertaining. It's a good series. Then it's entertaining. And then that increases ratings, which is good for you as a broadcaster. That's what you really, when it gets down to it, really care about. You're not sitting there pulling for a team. Um, but I also know this. So you try to put yourself in, in the other person's shoes. You know, most people have, have not been in this industry. And so they don't think that that's necessarily the way that it works, that a broadcaster is pulling for a team or against a team. And what Joe Buck has said, which I think helps uh, drive it home is fans at this point of baseball teams, of hockey teams and of NBA teams are used to throughout the course of the regular season hearing their hometown teams call the games. And of course they call those games from the hometown perspective. Sure. But then when the playoffs roll around after the first round in the NHL, and then you have the NBA and you have major league baseball, you have national announcers. And so the tone of the broadcast completely changes and subliminally you now hear enthusiasm when take your pick of whatever team the Cardinals or blues are playing that team uh, has success, and now the broadcasters are exclaiming uh, with compliments and excitement, and that's not what you're used to hearing. Like Dan McLaughlin, when he calls a home run, right. I was watching last night when Guerrero hit a, <laughs> a monster yeah, shot over one. the Cardinal bullpen, and you know he didn't his his cadence and his tone, understandably, is completely different than let's say the Goldschmidt Grand Slam from the night before to beat the Blue Jays. Right. Understandably, it would be bizarre if it were anything else. Right. Right. But but if if Darren Pang is going out of his way to call the game like he does when he's you know on with John Kelly, that would be bizarro world. Yeah. So so here's the thing. I understand it as I would imagine Panger himself understands it because he's been doing national games for a while. But, you know, if you, if you really deep down think that Darren Pang is pulling for the Colorado avalanche, I would tell you that, that you're off the mark on that. But I, but I also understand that will be hard to believe for a lot of you who are convinced that that is the case. It's just, it's just not the case. I was, uh, you know, I've, I've borne witness to seeing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, as a matter of fact, walking out of MetLife stadium with them after a playoff game with the uh, Falcons. And they were getting screamed at by giants fans because they hate the giants. And then if they were in Philadelphia, they'd be getting screamed at because they hate the Eagles. It, It really doesn't matter. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. So if you are emotionally invested in a game, 
and you hear whichever broadcaster screaming when Colorado scores a goal and it hurts you, well, obviously that's going to, that's going to bother you. It's, but, but there's nothing wrong with that because I would imagine that's the case for fans of any, any team because you experience a total adjustment from the pace and the sound of a broadcast when your team does well or something bad happens to your team once the postseason rolls around. You don't really deal with that with the NFL because you're always national and you're sure. dealing with a different broadcast team every week, right. minus the radio team. Jackson, your thoughts on what I call the Joe Buck thesis. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of sometimes feel like that with Mizzou. Um you know, whenever, because every basketball game is SEC Network, same mostly. You felt football. like the national broadcasters were too hard on the Kim Anderson era. No, no there was no such thing as being too hard on the Kim Anderson era. Uh, that was, that spoke for itself. But, uh, you know, you just sometimes like, it would always be frustrating, like, when you'd hear the broadcasters say, like, Quanzo Martin, when they're talking about the coach who had been there for four years. Like, that was like, okay, this is a little frustrating. But at the same time, you know, they're not doing it. Well, because the pronunciation of the name was wrong? Yeah. Right. And if it was the first year, it's one thing. But after four years, it's like, all right, someone hand the guy a pronunciation sheet. But regardless, I know they're not doing it maliciously. Like I I, never in my mind have I been like, oh, this guy, this person, whoever's calling the game is actively rooting against my team. It'd be kind of silly if they were. So but I also understand fans, you know, especially like what you said with you presented baseball, hockey and basketball, where you're used to, especially in baseball, where you're 162 games and then you know, 80 some games in the other two sports. Now you got someone you've never, you haven't heard all year calling your games, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. It's silly to think that someone, you know, someone who gets paid to call the game is actually rooting against your team. When you, when you strip it down and realize it's a job. Yes. But I, but I, like I said, I, I don't know what's happened to me over the last however many years, but I, I, I really actually full transparency, hashtag honesty and media. Right. The, the world changed for me once I had to sit behind, on the other side of the desk and I was the employer uh-huh. and had people. And, and now all of a sudden you see things differently. You understand sure. whether it be corporate or ownership or whatever the case might be. Not that I understand it at a high level, but I was in that position and I used to go, oh, well, this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. And then I realized, oh, I was wrong. It does. And, and so I'm sympathetic to that side of it because I've lived it. So I'm also sympathetic because before I was in broadcasting, I would think the same things. Mm-hmm. Take your pick of whatever Cardinals series or Blues series, uh, and and I would get irritated that or a college game, and my team is on the short end of the stick of a call or a play, and I don't feel like the broadcaster is is giving the what oh, they must be pulling for the other team. But then you get into the business and you understand that's just not the way it is. But like I said, 99% of the people, who, 99 plus percent of the people who are watching aren't in broadcasting. And so yeah. that's not something that necessarily, you hear the enthusiasm and you go, oh, well, they must be a fan. Now with the cadre thing, uh, that is one that is so emotionally charged that it's it's got so many things attached to it right now that... I, I went into the interview uh, with 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 Darren Pang, and I'm like, I know I want to talk about this, but I have a feeling, even though I, it's not like I texted with him to know, I have a feeling he probably doesn't really want to get into it because there is so much right now attached to it that it can really be a landmine for anybody commenting on it uh, in the public eye, especially somebody who is the you know the eyesight reporter for a playoff series. 
Uh, Craig Berube right now, and people might not be aware of this because maybe you're just reading Jeremy Rutherford or Jim Thomas or listening here to 101 ESPN, and, and you're not reading national columns or listening to, to podcasts that are beyond St. Louis. Craig Berube right now is getting a hell of a lot of criticism mm-hmm. um, in, in a major way for his no comment uh, when asked about the uh, cadre threats. I know we played this audio on TMA this morning, and I'm putting you on the spot, Jackson. Is that in the system on 101? Or Just give me a moment. I can pull it right up for you. Okay. And and this is one of these things where I know I'm going to start talking and we're going to be late for a break. We might already be late for a break. So, And since I'm looking at my refrigerator, uh, <laughs> you'll have to tell me if that's the case or just text me. Sure. Um, but, but the reason he's getting catching hell is because of this press conference before game four when the blues have their skate, when the abs have their skate, this is, you know, this is common. This, this goes on throughout the league. It'll go on tomorrow in Calgary before the Oilers and flames play game five. It'll go on, uh, before the Rangers and hurricanes, uh, in, in Carolina tomorrow, you know, they skate and the, the coaches address things. It's a casual conversation, but if you didn't watch it, if you didn't listen to it, and then if somebody frames the no comment in a way to make it look like Barubi wanted nothing to do with the topic and isn't empathetic, then it now frames Craig Barubi as, well, you can pretty much frame anybody the way you want to do it if you manipulate with the proper words. But if you actually listen to the exchange, you will hear what the press conference was. And the press conference was Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch starting things off with essentially the equivalent to, hi, how are you doing? Which is, how is the skate? What's the mood of the team? And then a reporter, I don't recognize his voice. Um, I would gather somebody from Denver, but I don't know that in fairness. It could be a national writer. Then asked him his opinion on the cadre threats uh, and what had been posted. And he says, I have no comment. I don't, I don't get into that stuff. And then somebody then asks about the goaltending situation. Uh, do you have the uh, audio, Jackson? I sure do. All right. So now you will be able to hear it for yourself in full context as opposed to just the written word with somebody trying to advance their career and attaching likes to it. Here you go. Well, how'd how it go today in the morning skate? What's the mindset of the team, would you say? Yeah, all good. Same. I think our mindset's been in a good spot. It hasn't changed. You know, you know, we've got a tough battle tonight and uh, tweak a few things here and there, but good skates, morning, ready to go. What are your thoughts towards uh, the threats to Kadri? I got no confidence. So. Do you, uh, on game day, do you talk to the goalies much or no? Uh, no, I say hi to them. Okay, so, so, so now you've heard it. And I think I, I just, I, when, when stuff like this happens, and it's my responsibility to give my honest opinion on it. Um, I think it's important to try to get as much information as possible. And the information starts with what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So Craig Berube was not asked on real sports or on 60 minutes or in a one-on-one even uh, a question like this, just giving you an example, taking myself back to the days where I was sitting in these press conferences uh, coach, over the last 24 to 48 hours, Nazem Kadri has received multiple threats to the point that the Colorado Avalanche have had to station uh, additional security at their hotel. They're going to have additional security around their bench tonight. And in addition to that, uh, he has received death threats from some people who are St. Louis Blues fans. 
Um, it has caught he and his family off guard, and they are very upset about it. Uh, what is what is your thought on what has been written to the point that extra security in the St. Louis Police Department's been involved? And if that point, Craig Berube goes, I got no comment. I don't get into that stuff. That's a different answer. But sure. again, it's a different question. Yeah. So you heard there, you heard Jim Thomas opening up the press conference in the press conference equivalent of, hey, coach, how you doing? Which is, how was the skate? What's the team's mindset? Oh, it's good. You know, good. I like where we are. And then you have a serious question, but it's the next question. And he says, no comment. I don't get into that stuff. I believe that's what he said. I know right. he said he had no comment. And I think he, is that what you think he said, Jackson? Yeah, it's kind of muffled, but I just got kind of like, I'm not getting in. I'm not getting but into I, but stuff. I, But therefore, my interpretation of it, he's talking about nonsense on social media. Sure, right. And then the rest of the reporters are so oblivious to the conversation. And by that, I mean the tone of what I gather the reporter was trying to get to. I'm not talking about oblivious to the topic that the next question is about the goaltending and Bruby kind of makes a joke and they laugh. So let's include, what are we going to do now? Are we going to chastise the reporters for not being empathetic too? Is that the, is that the level we're going to go? But Craig Bruby right now is, is the one who is catching a lot of hell for this. So listen, two things can be true. You can, and I believe 99% of Blues fans and people around hockey would go, wow, I can't believe that crap was written to Kadri, to his wife. That is gross. I would never do that, and I really wouldn't want to be associated with anybody who did do that. That can be true, and I would imagine it is true. I know that's how I feel, but also this can be true. Guy's been suspended six times over the last seven years. He was shipped out of Toronto for getting suspended back-to-back playoff series. His reputation so bad that he wrote a column about it on his own in the Players' Tribune two weeks ago. So when Craig Bruby says, well, that's his reputation, well, he's writing about his reputation. But that doesn't make Craig Berube a bad guy, a bigot. It doesn't make St. Louis fans bigoted. There are a portion of Blues fans who are bigoted. And I would imagine there are a portion of take your pick of whatever fan base in the world that has bigoted fans. But how this has kind of turned into a story that people don't even want to touch because they worry it could risk their careers if they say the wrong thing, it is grotesque to me. Especially when the no comment of Baruby, you now heard it. You now heard it. And you heard the question on the front end of it and you heard the question on the back end of it. So it wasn't like people were pressing him on the topic. He was asked about it and then they were asked about the goaltending. He made a joke and then everybody laughed about it. But it wasn't a one-on-one setting. I'm just telling you this stuff matters. And I'm sure, I am sure that Craig Berube, if he were to see it, and he probably has seen the stuff that was sent to Kadri by now, he'd go, man, that is absolutely gross. And maybe he will say something now. Tom Stillman said something uh, this morning. I see it's in Jim Thomas's column in the Post-Dispatch. Uh, This is what Tom Stillman said. There is a long list of reasons why our game is the best in the world, and respect is at the top of that list. It's important that we maintain respect as a guiding principle throughout the hockey community. I will. It'll be uh, intriguing to see whether or not Baruby says something today, um, because I think the way that he is being framed as not being empathetic, based on what you just heard right there, is not representative of what really transpired in that question and answer session. And I think that that matters. But if you want to attach Craig Berube to those comments based on the fact that he said no comment, 
then I would I would tell you that you're making an aggressive leap. I highly doubt Craig Bruby's like, oh, I'm glad, get glad they sent that stuff to him. You can think the guy plays dirty and also think that sending that kind of crap is dirty. Both things can be true. We'll take a break. This is Balloon Party 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, Jackson, I did it again. We got to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's the way it is. Yeah. So I get, get going, to... though. Yeah. I can't help it. And I'm, and, you know, in TMA, we talk for, what would you say, 95% of the 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. for real? I mean, more yeah. than that, probably, because right. the commercials are like three minutes and we just talk and talk and talk. So I'm adjusting to uh, actually having a break, and I'm just not doing really well. Maybe after five, six months, I'll get it right. But either way, now we have a quick segment. What's up, brother? Well, it's like when you play 18 holes of golf. It takes about six, seven, maybe even eight holes to get loose. Well, then you're probably not going to be real successful out there if it, you know, takes Mm. a third of the way. But I'll tell you, I was out there on the range with Panger's nephew. Ball striker? Ball striker. (laughs) Ball striker. Jake Bryson's his name. Did you see uh, Panger almost get hit with that stick? Uh, in, I did. In the last game, he said, stick, right? Right, he said, better not affect my golf swing. <laughs> That's right. He immediately went into that move, that signature short game he yeah. has. BK and Ferrario are up next. Jackson and I will be recording podcasts. We talk about anything. Right. Uh, and I, I, you know, no I, mean, time I limit literally on that mean one. everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a free-for-all now. Team McKernan at Inside STL, anything you want us to discuss in the podcast? Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.